0: Hey, this is Steve Campbell from the C3 Church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Our prayer for you is that you'll be blessed, equipped, and enabled as you listen to this message. God bless you. Morning to everyone, everyone online as well. Really good to be here and to uh, be able to speak to you today. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I'm finding this season a little bit of a challenge Don't know about you, this COVID season, it's a bit of a challenge, isn't it? You kind of like think things are going to calm down a little bit, things are going to settle, the pace is going to kind of wind down a little bit, but it doesn't seem to be happening, doesn't it? Every day there's like news, new news coming through and different things happening and more disappointments and more things that might get cancelled and I kind of found it a bit of a challenge, but my mind has been thinking about... And I know it might think, how does your mind go to that? But I don't know whether this is a God thought or whether this is an Angie Campbell thought. But I was thinking about the Israelites. You know, the Israelites, they had to go through a desert and they took 40 years to do so. And there was hundreds of them. I mean, literally hundreds of them. God was leading them through the desert. And can you imagine? God was leading them by a cloud in the day and a fire, pillar of fire at night. Imagine, you, you know, it's the, the fact that we are made in that way. God loves us and knows that we need visual things, visual things to uh, help us, to lead us, to guide us. So we had a, a tower of fire at night and a pillar in the day of cloud. And that was to represent God's presence with the people. So you just to picture it all these hundreds of people, they're in the desert there. They see the cloud in the day. They say, God's with us. We're okay. We're settled. We've got our tents. There's little Jacob playing with Boaz, maybe, and Solomon, you know, in the corner. They're all kind of like having a bit of fun, enjoying each other's company. All the tents are all settled. The water's been, supply's been sorted. The dunny's been built. Everything's been sorted and settled. Then as soon as God decides, the cloud moves, and he says it's time to move on. I can imagine there might be a few grumbles in that camp. What do you mean it's time to move on? I was settled, everything was sorted, I liked my neighbours, I actually was getting on quite well, we'd set up a school, you know, everything was all going all fine. What do you mean we've got to move on? It's time to move into a new season. And I feel like it's a little bit like that at the moment. God keeps saying to us, it's time to move on, and if you want to be where my presence is, then it's time to move on into a new season. You see, I reckon God is more interested in our dependency on him than he is on our comfort. He's more interested in our dependency on him than he is on our individual comfort. And so he keeps shaking, and so he keeps moving, and he keeps on saying, move with me, because this is where my presence is right now. And I believe on the earth today, his church his gathered church is a visible representation. Just as we had the pillar of cloud and we had the fire, today we have the church as a visual de- demonstration of God's presence here on the earth, where people look on and they see God is here in the midst of this community as they see his church. You know, we did say that we're going to start this brand new series and we are going to talk about the, the Beatitudes. And this, as Steve was saying, is part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It literally was on a mountainside. Jesus took his disciples up on a mountainside. And sometimes it's called Lessons on a Hill. Along with the Ten Commandments and the 23rd 23rd Psalm and the Lord's Prayer and a few other key passages, this is probably the most inspiring passage that you will come across. It's the longest sermon that Jesus taught. The things like, you are the salt of the world, and um, love your enemies, you are the light of the world. They're kind of phrases that are uh, are known by many people, whether in church or not. And they come from the Sermon on the Mount. I would really recommend you reading through these next three weeks those Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7, the full Sermon on the Mount because this is the context where the Beatitudes come. You know, Jesus all the time was talking about the present kingdom that was available and around the disciples at that point. See, Jesus came and brought the kingdom. But Jesus also said there's a kingdom to come and it's going to be released and unleashed onto the earth. And we won't ultimately see it all until we actually go to heaven. But Jesus said the kingdom is available to you, the kingdom is here and you need to uh, engage with the kingdom, it's available and this is a way that you can engage with it. He talked about the kingdom in heaven, he talked about the kingdom of God and they can be used interchangeably. You know he he probably spoke for a number of days, he probably had a few meals in the midst of that, probably had a few prayer times. I reckon it was a little bit like a conference, you know it was a disciples conference, the Sermon on the Mount, took the disciples for a way a way to actually hear him speak and to teach them. He answered two basic questions on the Sermon on the Mount. One was, maybe you could ask the question, which life is the good life? Or what will make us happy in life? Now, happy isn't a full word. You see, happy is kind of like transient. And if we were actually looking just for happiness, then we'll get lost in some way of that. But what Jesus was saying, that don't look for happiness in itself, but if you look at what I'm teaching you, you will find happiness through it. So what is the good life? What is it that we, we need to look at to find out where happiness and some well-being might be found? The second question is similar, but we won't look at that today, and that is what truly is a good person? What does a good person look like? But we're going to focus on that question. What is the good life? What is a way of finding some happiness without pursuing it for itself? See, Jesus opened these eight statements with the word blessed. And we use the word beatitudes because it's come from the word beatus, which in Latin is translated as happy. So that word happy and blessed can't quite be interchanged. But let's read those eight Beatitudes. And if you want to follow along, you follow on the version, or you can find it in Matthew chapter 5. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God, and blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Blessed, happy, seems a bit simplistic to translate blessed as happy. Happy seems temporary and thin and a kind of vulnerable. Blessed is more of a fixed state, something far more lasting, something rooted and permanent. The Greek word is makaria. Actually, I discovered that Cyprus is often called uh, uh, Isle Macaria. And what it means is that Cyprus has got everything in it that you could possibly need. It's a fertile island. It has all the food. It has all the fruit. It has all the wine. It has all the weather. It has everything going for it. It's an island of Macaria. It's an island that's blessed. You see, blessed we could ultimately translate is to have all that you really need. All that you really need is found in this. And so we could actually, let's look at the first one, blessed are the poor in spirit. You could actually say congratulations, good for you, blessed are you that are poor in spirit, good for you, you are poor in spirit and yours is the kingdom of heaven. You know, this flies in the face of today's world of entitlement, doesn't it? It doesn't seem to quite fit with today's culture. How can you be blessed when you're poor in spirit? It just seems maybe a little bit irrelevant. But we've got remember that these Beatitudes were relevant for the disciples that day. And they are relevant for us today. They, you know, they are a very much how-to love in the real world. In a world full of power and frustrations and pressures we all know so well. It flies in the face of common wisdom. Perhaps they're not very intuitive intuitive to us. But, you know, maybe perhaps they're so unnatural, they're either totally illogical and useless, or maybe there's something, an inspiration in them for a different kind of life. Let's jump into that one. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it actually mean to be poor in spirit? Well, it could mean that you're being spiritually impoverished, meaning that we only come to God, we we plead for mercy and grace because we have no other basis on which we stand. We're just so imperfect. So it's our impoverished state that we come in. It could just mean being discouraged and the fact that we are humbled by our circumstances and we humble ourselves because we have little in life or we think little of ourselves and that could be our approach towards god almost i am a worm some argue that we only seek god when we actually reach rock bottom in ourselves but some people think that the phrase poor in spirit could refer to spiritual not only spiritual poverty but financial poverty according to this view the oppressed the ones with no finances they're the ones who really bless I disagree with this because Jesus didn't go around saying you've got to give up all your finances, you've got to give up all all your wealth. He did talk to the rich young ruler in that way, but that looked like it was an obstacle for him. He doesn't say that you have to give up all wealth, but he does put an onus on those who have wealth to steward it well and to be wise how you steward it and to help those who don't have as much as them. But I think, you know, the best meaning of the, the statement blessed are the poor in spirit are those that find blessing and ultimately happiness are those who recognize that they are spiritually bankrupt. They have nothing in themselves to offer God. They are spiritually bankrupt. They are blessed when they are totally dependent on God. The poor are those that for whatever reason recognize their dire need of the grace of God. They are the spiritual zeros, the spiritually bankrupt, deprived, and deficient. When Jesus looked round on the crowd, he didn't find people who were leading Bible studies or knew their Bible well or knew the law well or even prayed out loud during services. They probably would have fainted if they were asked if Jesus asked them to do something like that. You know, I wonder whether... Being, I wondered in some ways, you know, those who are sp- actually know that they understand that they have nothing to offer God. They have no spiritual clout to give towards God. They're the ones that are poor in spirit. You see, Jesus was laying a foundation in this first beatitude. And that he started in this preaching, the layer upon layer on layer. This is base one. You've got to be poor in spirit. You've got to know that you have nothing to offer God spiritually that you need to come to him with. You don't even have to pour out from yourself, you don't have to even humble yourself because you might become proud about the fact that you become really humble, which is a pair of an oxymoron, isn't it? That you become proud about your humility, but it's not about us emptying ourselves, it's about us acknowledging that we have nothing that we can give towards God in our spiritual sense. You know, again, it flies against culture, doesn't it? Because our country, culture will say that the world owes us things in, way, in ways. We can walk around with an entitlement that the world owes us something. And actually, you know, we're in credit for all the good things that we do. But God doesn't work with us in that way. There's no way that we can earn in credit before God. You know, the people who find the hardest is this, are people who are actually built their own religious sense and identity... Those who maybe have studied for a long time, those who have maybe led for a long time, those who have uh, you know, been involved in church for a long time may even think that they've got some credibility before God. And it was the religious people in Jesus' day that found it the hardest to accept that actually you have to let yourself know that you need God and that's where you're the basis that you come to him. You know, if you've been around somebody who has an addiction or if you've had an addiction yourself or you're struggling with that yourself or an eating disorder maybe, you know the first step is to admit that you need help before you can make any progress to move forward. And that's how we have to come before God. We have to admit that we need him, that we need his help. We could turn this beatitude and paraphrase it, people who are spiritually, socially and materially self-sufficient will be unhappy. Because the reverse is true. Those who are poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We have nothing that we can earn that we can have credit before God in. It would be like having a debt of a million pounds and coming up before God with five pounds and saying, will this help towards my debt? You see, the Bible tells us very clearly in Matthew 11 verse 28. Jesus said, come to me all of you who are weary and carry heaven burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. And he says in Revelation, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and I will share a meal together as friends. And Romans 3.23 says, for everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace uh, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. We have to admit our poverty and God gives us the wealth and riches of his own son. Spiritual poverty gives us a basis for the relationship that we can have with God. It's the way we enter his kingdom. And it's the way we stay in his kingdom. Always know that we have spiritual poverty before God. Jesus is showing us that to make a contract with God, first we have to admit our need. You know, drowning sinners can't, can't argue and debate with those that come with the, life belt, the lifeboat. They have to just cry out for help. I remember we had a guy that came and did some building work with us. He was with us for a number of of months, actually. And over the time, he asked many, many questions. And he kind of wanted to give his life to God, but he didn't quite know how. And he he didn't really want to submit. And he wanted to kind of kept on wrestling, kept on arguing. And in his heart, you you could see that there was this tussle going on. I remember the very last day that he was at our house and we had had the conversations and we'd been praying for him and many people had been praying for him. And I remember him saying it was the last day and he kind of didn't want to leave. And we said, are you going to say that prayer? Are you going to actually submit? Are you going to actually just surrender to God and say you need him? And he found it too hard and too difficult to go. And he left and he walked out the door. We thought, well, we're just going to have to keep praying for him. And about 10 minutes later, the door went. And there was our builder, and he came back in. And we're like, what happened? What's going on? He said, my van won't start. He said, this never happens, but my van won't start. And I was like, well, maybe. God wants you to say that prayer. And he wants you to submit before you. Just go into the van. I was being cheeky and say, say, I surrender. (laughs) Went back to the van. And then a little while later, the door went again. He said, Done it. I did it. And he went back to his car, turned his key, and his van started for its first time, and off he drove. And he said, I submit. I surrender. I give my life to you. That's the way, the contract that we're made with God. We admit that we need Jesus. We need his salvation. We need him to be our saviour. We need him to redeem us. Being poor in spirit means we become totally dependent on God in every area of our life. I've got a picture here of our daughter when she was born. When she was born she was uh, very ill and she was uh, taking in a lot of blood from me, uh, taking in her stomach and in her lungs and she actually was on a life support machine. It is up there, it isn't up there. It should be up there, okay. We have a picture at some point, it might come up and she's on the life support machine. There's an image in my head of how dependent we are on God. How every single breath was dependent on that machine. And there, total dependency, total dependency on God. That is what our life needs to be like. You know, being poor in spirit allows God to work in our lives. Maybe we claim the credit too quickly and God can do less through us. When we're poor in spirit, we know where the credit needs to go. Being poor in spirit is the best basis for prayer, for communion with God. You see, we all appreciate, if you're a Christian, you appreciate the need for prayer. You may even say it's vital, yet we find it so hard to do. I wonder if we don't have the poverty of spirit, and if we don't have that poverty of spirit, then that's what keeps us away from prayer, because we're not so desperate on him. Maybe if we realize how poor we are and how we need him, then our prior life, prayer life will increase. You know what it says? Blessed are those happy, are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I've not unpacked what the kingdom of heaven looks like particularly today, and that's what we're going to be doing as the weeks unfold But I do remember a prayer and I wonder whether we could pray that together with us. Just this first part. I'm going to just ask us to pray and I'm going to ask you to put your hands out in front of you and to maybe just to close your eyes. I'm going to ask that Jesus will reveal his kingdom to us here today. I'm going to ask and use a prayer that he said for us to pray. He said, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, we ask for your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, may there be healing, may there be peace, may there be reconciliation, Lord. Father, I pray for blessing. Lord, as we come, totally dependent on you, Lord, I pray that you will have your way in our lives, that we will be your vessels, and that we will declare your word here on the earth that your kingdom is the best kingdom that we could be a part of. And maybe today there's people who have not made that commitment to Jesus, have not bowed that knee, of doing that wrestling and not wanting to surrender. And maybe if you're listening to the sound of my voice today, you could pray this prayer in your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I come before you. I come and I surrender. I submit to your will. I thank you for dying on the cross for me. I give my life to you, and I will follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. So guys, we're going to have a song of worship right now as we close this service. And a time of worship, a prayerful worship that we're going to just have, again, be able to minister to our hearts and use it as a prayer. And then at the end of that, we're going to have a short interview as well. So stay tuned.